this life after glorious defeat. Those critics, those prideful soul crushers and shamers, they tried to bury us, they tried to break us. They actually believed they could stop us. Awesome. Well, it is so great to be with you guys today. I love this church. I, I, this is my first time here, but it already feels like home. And I want to come back. I hope that's okay. I'm going to come back for the baptisms and every week from that point on because this is the place to be. Like, I love the heart of this church. I love what God is doing in your stories. And I just feel so lucky to be here. So thank you. <laughs> I also feel like lucky. Yeah, hey, that's, that applause is for you. I, I also feel very lucky about what I get to do because my job and sort of what I spend my time doing on a day-to-day -day basis is just reminding them that they are loved deeply by God, that, that their, their stories and their not-so-perfect stories matter to Him. And as an organization, we're just sort of putting out this message in this very sort of clear way that, that just because you fail doesn't make you a failure, and just because you made a mistake doesn't mean that you are a mistake. And I think a lot of us, when we look at those ideas and think about just that, those two, two thoughts, is like we struggle with that because we live in a society where the forces of darkness are fully funded. You know, the, the shame machine, the judgment machine, it is fully operational. And so as people of the second chance and as, as followers of Christ, like we want to step into that place and saying like, it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to judge. We don't have to divide. We don't have to label. We don't have to stigmatize. In fact, when we come with the message of saying like, Jesus takes what our society deems as worthless and he makes it worthwhile. Like he takes the broken stuff and he makes it beautiful. And so like my heart and my posture as I'm going out into the world, as I'm going out into my day, I just, I, I'm looking for those who are giving up hope, those who are quitting on life, those who feel like they are unloved, the, the overlooked, the marginalized, the people who wrestle with, with shame and guilt and the weight of their brokenness. I just want to step in and, and say, like, first, we're going we're gonna to hug. I'm going to give you a hug and a high five and a smile. But really, like, I just want, I want my life. I want your life. I, I, like, I want to be just like this grace-flavored snow cone on a hot judgmental day. <laughs> like, right? That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for the church. And that's what I want for, for all of us. Because, because there's just this sense of despair and disappointment. And, and, and we're all sort of hustling for our worth and our, our value. And like the, one, of, one of the clear messages of our society like screams at you and me is simply this. Like, hurry up and matter. 
And if you don't matter and you don't do something important or you don't do something worthy or you don't you know, land yourself a reality TV show, like you're nothing to us. You're a throwaway, go away. If you only have 100 Twitter followers, you're not important. Like all these messages, right, that we get in our head. It's like, I want to say like enough of that. We're people of the second chance. We're, we're grace-flavored snow cones. We believe in people. We are believers, okay? But we're not just believing in God. We're believing in, in each other. That's what, I, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for this world. That's what I want for this city. And so this, this morning, I want to talk about really what I think is the, the key to unlocking that kind of life and that kind of world. And it actually starts with us and who we are and how we see ourselves. It starts with identity. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. You probably have. It's like, well, who am I? Like, really, who am I? And, and we all sort of wear different labels and different titles, like chief chance officer, founder, author, you know, geeky guy with glasses. We all got like the, the labels and the things. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a, a, a husband or a wife. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're a college student. Like, we have these words that try to describe us, but they, they feel incomplete. And some of us actually operate from an, an identity that's actually pretty, um, pretty broken, pretty negative. Maybe you define your life and your identity through your pain. Maybe you see yourself as, as a victim. Maybe you see yourself as um, an addict, a hopeless case, uh, a divorcee. And I say like all those stuffs are, are relevant to the conversation, but the most important thing of who we are is that we are God's beloved. That's our identity. And, and the problem is that if your identity is broken, then your life is broken. Because you'll never rise above or you'll never see your relationships or yourself or your future or your potential or, or your enemies or the people that are your friends. Like You'll never rise above that lens of who you say you are. And really, identity is two things. Like, number one, who you say you are and who you say you are not. And those two things inform how we live and operate and see the world and see our own hearts, see our relationship with God. And, so, and, and for many of us, it's like it's just busted up and it's broken right now. You don't know who you are. The, uh, they did an interesting survey of, of Christians and they asked church people, just like you and me, like, what, when God thinks about you, what, what is his overwhelming feeling that he has towards you? And the majority of Christians responded to that survey, said that when God thinks about me and my life and my story, when he thinks about me, the overwhelming feeling that he feels towards me is disappointment. And some of you are going like, yeah, that's what I believe about God. And again, all of that is informed with who you are. Because if you saw yourself as the beloved, if you saw yourself as, yes, broken, becoming beautiful, that you are a son and a daughter of a king, that you're, you're the prince and you're his prince and princess. Like if you saw like, yes, we are, we're imperfect people, but we have a God who thinks we're perfect. <laughs> like, if we get that into us, 
and we get those, those ideas, those concepts as our foundation, man, everything can change. You'll find wholeness, you'll find freedom, you'll find forgiveness, your heart will no longer have to struggle through that bitterness or that fear. You'll be released. But it starts with how do you see yourself? How do you see what, what identity has God bestowed upon you? But here's, here's the reality, is that, that you are not defined by your brokenness. You are defined by God's radical love. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by a very loving Savior who thinks you're pretty awesome, enough to die for you. And, and that is the truth. And I know that's hard to see, and I know that, that we think we've disappointed God, and we, we feel like we're enough, and we have to hustle for our worthiness, and the world is screaming at us, like, hurry up and matter. Hurry up and do something. And if you don't hurry, you're done. I know you may feel insignificant right now. I may, you may feel like you're, you're, the things that you're doing don't matter, that they're being overlooked, that they have no significance. It's like, no, no, no. That's the, world, that's the forces of darkness talking. That is the shame machine talking. The grace machine says, man, you are loved. You are people of the second chance. You are my beloved. I read an interesting kind of sad statistic a couple weeks ago. Uh, it said that 91% of women hate something about their bodies. 91%. I think men, they, if they would ask men, we would lie. And, but, but probably men hate something about our bodies too. Like all of us struggle with this. Like there's something about you that you don't like right now. There's something that you feel like you need to be more of, that you need to hustle more, that, that you need to perform more, you need to perfect more, you need to give more, like all that, like just you're soaking in your not enoughness. And God wants to release us this morning from that. And it all starts with identity. Like the reality is, I think this is probably pretty true, that, that this is not a sermon. This is an intervention for some of you. And I want to unlock the true you, the beloved you. I love what um, Romans 9.25 says, and it's really the verse for the day. It says this, it says, all call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them the beloved. And that's what you and I are. We are the beloved and he's calling us. We are the nobodies that he's making somebody but it's us presenting our lives into his hands and saying, all right, God, it's even beyond my own beliefs about myself. Because you may not feel like the beloved, you may not think you're the beloved, but you are. And embrace it. But there's two kind of key problems that, you know, I've been working with people for 15 years in this, these areas of shame and guilt and grace and just counseling and, and just walking through a lot of different storms with people. And there's two kind of key things that happen. Number one is there's what I call the fog of pain. Where ugly, traumatic, horrible things happen in our lives and we get very confused about who we are. We start identifying ourselves by our pain, by our loss, by things that maybe have happened in our childhood, maybe a, a very dark season of your life. And all of a sudden you say, I am not the beloved. I am that. I am my worst moments. That's a lie. That's not who you are. And, and the problem is pain causes fog and confusion. It's like, it literally, I, I describe it like it takes our little snow globe and it like shakes it up. 
and all of a sudden it's kind of hard to see and we get kind of flipped upside down and we don't really know what's true and what's not true about us. I know in my own life I've, I've experienced like just rock bottom, very painful moments, moments where, um, you know, I've just been broken. One of those moments was when I was 19 years old and I was uh, on a boating trip with some friends and I was driving the boat and the skier that I was pulling motioned to turn the boat around and go the other direction. I began to turn the boat in what I thought was clear water, but it wasn't clear water. There was a, another skier that had dropped in the water. And because of the speed that I was going, I wasn't able to turn in time and I hit him. And so shut the engines off of the boat and I look behind and I just see like this literally this lifeless body in this pool of blood and um, it was a moment where like everything changes and you start really you start that work of saying what do I believe about who I am what do I believe about God what do I believe about love what do I believe about forgiveness they rush the skier that I hit to the emergency room, he just barely survived. As the boat was coming at him, he raised his arm like this to try to protect himself from the impact. And literally the propeller of the boat runs down his arm and then breaks off in his head. And I don't say that to be graphic, but I, I want you to understand what is happening here. Just carved up his arm, he'd suffer brain damage, permanently disfigured him. There'd be lawsuits and um, criminal court case and be prosecuted. But none of that really, that, most of that paled in comparison to the shame and the guilt and the way that I punished myself because of that event. You know, so I realized it was an accident. I realized that, you know, it could have happened to anybody. But that didn't stop me from condemning my heart, condemning my life. And one of the things that happens when we go through these painful things is we write these new rules. And one of the rules that I wrote for my life because of that accident was, Mike, um, you'll never enjoy the water again. And I love the water. I get problem. It, water brings me great joy. But at, to honor him, to make sure that I never forget, to make sure that, that I you know, pay my price, I'm just going to shut off the water. And for 15 years, I lived under that condemnment. That commandment that said, no, you are that moment on the river. And I think, I just can look at your faces and I just know that some of you are sitting here today and you, you are defining your life and your future and your relationship with God by your own boating accident. By that, own, that, that, that moment that you just feel shame and embarrassment about, that you are scared of, that when you think about it, it just makes you nauseous and sick. Like God says, give that to me. And let my love penetrate those deep spots. Let me love you in that pain. Let me let you be the beloved. So there's sort of this fog of pain where we get really confused about who we are. And the second thing is there's, there's what I call a negative mixtape going on in your head. There's like this chatter that just you constantly live with and has become so part of who you are that you just think it's normal. It's just normal to sort of beat yourself up. It's just normal to, to criticize yourself. I, I call it self-bullying, where we bully ourselves. And, and honestly, here's, here's the truth. Like, some of the things that we say to ourselves in our brain, quietly in our brain, nobody else heard. Like some of the things that we would say to ourselves, that we do say to ourselves, we would never 
ever say to anybody else. We would think like, oh, you're just, that, that's too mean to say that. To, you know, that's, that's a bully. But this self-bullying happens all the time. So it's like this negative mixtape. And I brought a mixtape with me because I'm a child of the 80s, by the way. Um, and I love mixtapes. And um, I used to, to make my own like with Bon Jovi songs and Depeche Mode songs and AHA and Madonna. And like I was, I was into it. And so I would load up so- all kinds of my favorite songs on here and I would play it nonstop. All the time, like I literally would wear the tape out. And uh, I, I'm looking at some of you like right now, now, right now and you're, you're much younger than me. Like you don't know who Mr. Rourke of Fantasy Island is and you don't, you may not know who B.A. Baracus is from the A-Team, maybe from the movie, but not the TV show. Like this is my, this is my generation. And so like a mixtape, think of a mixtape like a uh, 80s version of an iPod where where it just has these playlists and all your favorite songs are there. But the thing, the, the thing with the, the mixtape is that when your mixtape breaks, you, you don't take it to the Apple Genius Bar. Oh no, my friends, we don't need to do that. We just get out this little handy tool right here, right? <laughs> Click, stick that in there and like, you're all good to go. Like mixtape all fixed. Times were so much simpler back then, you know? And by the way, everybody who's laughing right now is old because they understand that, right? <laughs> so we have these tapes and they're playing these, these songs in our head. Like we don't have mixtapes like that anymore, but we have, we have these negative songs and these, the, the soundtrack that is just carving out your joy and carving out like life and freedom and saying you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you need to be more perfect, God doesn't care about you. Like whatever the, the soundtrack is, like you are your addiction, your, your, your depression, your, your mental health struggles, uh, your future is, is doomed. Whatever the tape is playing, like just, just stop. Because one thing I know about my mixtape and when I put it in my ghetto box when I was a kid, um, it had a play button, it had an eject button, which you could take the tape out. It also had a record button where you could record another message or another song. And I think some of us need to do that today. We need to find new messages, new songs, new, new ways of talking to ourselves, and like put in a different tape, a tape of grace, a, a tape of second chance, a tape that says, I am God's beloved. I am a somebody because God takes nobodies and turns them into something really cool. God takes my boating accidents and redeems it. God loves me. That's the new tape. That's the new song. And I got to tell you, like for me, sometimes this tape gets so loud. I struggle with this. I just struggle with like the, the criticism and the self-bullying and the shaming of myself. It's just been a struggle I've had all my life. Still working on it. Like I need this message today. I always feel so unqualified when I speak. I always feel so unqualified in my work. I go like, man, why didn't, why didn't they get somebody else to do the Voices series? There's so many other great speakers out there. Why don't they get that? And I like this insecurity and like I'm pooping all over myself and all, my, all the gifts that God has given me. And you do the same thing too, right? You have these incredible gifts, these strengths, these like things that God wants you to bring and you're like downplaying them and shaming them. Sometimes the, that voice gets so... So loud, there's a moment, uh, there's actually three moments this, this year in 2016, and I'll just be completely authentic and honest with you. Uh, I ain't got nothing to lose. Um, there's three times where that voice was so loud, the, the solution that I came up with was, uh, and, and wanted to do, and thank God um, I didn't, but there was, a, there was a bottle of wine, and I'm like, if I just drink that whole bottle of wine, and I wanted to so bad, 
because that voice was so loud. Like if I drank that whole bottle of wine, the, I could quiet the voice for at least an evening. And that's the problem. Like we escape into these really unhealthy, dysfunctional things that try to you know, stop the tape. But the way that we stop the tape is you let God love you. you put it in a new mixtape, a new message, and live as the beloved. So what does the beloved mean? Some of you hear that word and you go, wow, that, that sounds really uh, chick flickish. That sounds really uh, you know, like Anna Green Gables and that, that kind of thing. And um, all the men in the audience are going like, I don't want to be as the beloved. And all the women are like, yes, I want to, that's me. So here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. Like the beloved means uh, like within the word itself is what you're supposed to do. Be loved. Be loved. That's, that's how you become the beloved, is you just let yourself be loved in, in your messiness, in your successes, in your dreams, in, 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 in your shame, like that you feel, like just be loved. It's not be perfect. It's not be good. You know, be at church on time. It's like, not, it's not Beyonce, right? It's just, it's just. Be loved. That's who you are. That's what I want for you. That's the operating instructions for life and a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. And here's what I mean by that. It's like when we feel God's love, when we're overflowing, we're like, yes, I am the beloved. Yes, I'm broken, but I'm becoming beautiful. Yes, I have boning accidents and horrible moments and addictions and dysfunctions. But at the end of the day, I receive God's love and that's who I am. Like when we live from that place, we, we overflow with love. And out of the overflow of love, we now have room. We have, we have abundance to love others. And that's the point here. Isn't it just about like, hey, I just want to be loved. It's about me and my identity. No, like it's like a one-two punch. You be loved and then you get to love others. By the way, that's the gospel too. Yeah. All right there. Be loved. Like I love you and you love others. Um, one of the way, ways we're doing this at People of Second Chance is like throwing prodigal parties. We're, we're telling people like, you are loved. And we're doing it for inmates who are um, being let out of prison. And uh, it's, you know, we blow up balloons and uh, have, have lunch together and eat and dance and pray and, and just call out in these these folks who are getting out of prison and just say, we want to celebrate you. I know society says you're, you're a danger and that you're, you're worthless and, and just a number and you're going to, you're a throwaway. Like we said, no, no, no. That's not who you are. So a couple weeks ago, we actually did a party. We actually did two parties two weeks ago, but we did a party for a woman named Ramona. And Ramona served 21 years in prison for uh, a drug offense and was granted clemency by President Obama. By the way, she was looking at a life sentence for drugs. She was not getting out of prison except for President Obama. I don't care what your politics are or whatever that, but, but here's the deal. Light, a life sentence for, for drugs, like that is completely whacked. That is ridiculous. And so think of like just her, Ramona like going like, who am I? What am I stepping into? 21 years of her life being treated like a number. So, well, we have no agenda here, Ramona, except to love on you and celebrate you and high five you. And, and well, instead of me telling you about it, I want to show you some footage and, and a video that we taped a couple weeks ago of Ramona's prodigal party. Check this out. 
far greater than I ever expected. I feel so happy, so joyful, so many emotions going on right now that it's gonna take me until tomorrow to kinda come down. Here's the deal. I, I, you know, is, is our balloons and birthday cakes and, you know, the Macarena going to solve all of the problems? I, no, it won't. But it is a great starting point for people to say, we love you. You matter to us. There's no speeches. There's no, like, well, you should haves and, oh, you're a... Like it is, we celebrate you, Ramona, because you too are God's beloved. That's what I want for us. That's the kind of faith I want to live out. That's the kind of person I want to be. Like judgment, it's so boring. Shame, labeling, it's so like uninteresting to me. Parties are awesome. I call it, I call it like the gospel, or I'm going to start just living out the gospel of guacamole making. Right? And my new theology is going to be just the theology of chips and dip. And I'm going to find all the people who need to be reminded that they're loved. And here's the deal. We're helping inmates who are uh, coming out of prison. But every single one of us knows somebody who needs a prodigal party right now. Who needs to be reminded that they too are loved. In fact, in October, the week of October 16th, we're going to do a nationwide prodigal party. We're going to do over 100 parties. And I actually need some prodigal party hosts, which are you guys. And you can get more information about that at secondchance.org. But like all of us know a neighbor, a friend, somebody at work, somebody in our community that just needs some guacamole and some balloons and the Macarena. We start there. We start with love, the beloved loving others. i close with just this quick story. Um, I was in an elevator. Uh, we were at Disneyland and my family and I were going to stay the night at the Disneyland Hotel. And we get into the elevator, my wife and my two teenage kids. And uh, this other couple gets in the elevator with us and the doors close. And standing right next to my wife is Sandra Bullock. Like, no lie. <laughs> Some of those other stories I told today, those are lies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no lie, seriously. Like, there's Sandra Bullock. And I'm kind of like, I, I love gravity. I love the movie The Blind Side, Speed. Like, and it's so like, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's Sandra Bullock. Oh my goodness. And so I'm kind of having a, a moment here. And I guess I wanted to, I literally, I'm so glad I didn't do this, but I wanted to reach out and like literally stroke her hair and give her a hug. Like that's how weird it got in that moment. But I did not do that because that's totally creepy. But I wanted to because I was so excited. And then so in my excitement, trying to play it cool, but I wanted my wife and my kids to know that they were now in the as elevator with Hollywood royalty, right? And so I'm trying to get my wife's attention. And so I'm looking at her like, hey, look, no, no, like doing the head bob and sort of the like real intense stare at her. And she's just looking up at the numbers on the elevator, watching the floors increase. And, and she's, not, she's not dialing to, to my, what I'm trying to communicate at all. 
And then I look at my kids, and my kids are teenagers, so my kids are not noticing anything about me, number one, because I'm their father, and they just are great at ignoring me. And number two, they're just staring at their cell phones the whole time and missing out the fact that Sandra Bullock's right next to them. And so I had a friend tell me a few weeks ago, he's like, Mike, you should have group texted your family and told them this. <laughs> that would have, right, that would have solved the problem. But I didn't, I didn't think about that, dang it, oh well. So that we get up to our floor, doors open, foster family walks out, Sandra Bullock and her friends stay on the elevator, doors close, they go up to their floor. I look at my wife and kids and go, did you see who was on the elevator with us? Did you see? And they're like, no, we didn't see. What, what did we miss? I'm like, you missed Sandra freaking Bullock. She was right there. It's like, this was going to be the finest hour moment of our lives. And you missed it. Ah, oh, so here's the deal. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because we have Sandra Bullock moments like all over the place. And that's with Sandra Bullock. But it's with God saying like, hey, your second chance, this new life, this fresh start is right here. You don't have to do anything except grab a hold of it. All you have to do is open your eyes. All you have to do is stop like beating yourself up. All you have to do is say, you know what? I am not my past. I know my parents tried to define me. I know society tried to define me. I know uh, my enemy tried to define me. Sometimes even the church tried to define me in an ugly, weird way. I'm gonna embrace the identity of the beloved. I am somebody. I am the beloved. That's who you are. And then not only for you to embrace that, like grab hold of that and like live from that place, people. But also, we find people all around us who are unsure of who they are, who are confused because of the pain that they've gone through, or because they have been stigmatized or labeled by society. You know, the Ramonas of our world. To remind us, hey, you know what? You are loved. Now let's dance. You have a hope and a future. But right now, let's eat some cake. That's what I want for faith. That's what I want for Christianity. That's what I want for Soul City Church. That's what I want for your life. It's right there. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I call nobodies and make them somebodies. I call the unloved and make them the beloved. Um, in closing, I just want to like do a super quick shameless plug for something that we're doing today. And it's really kind of cool um, because it's helping people. So one of the things that we do is we provide care kits to inmates and give them a Bible and a workbook and some fun little things. And it's really awesome. And we're in over 80 prisons across the country right now. I don't know if you know this, but, but there's 10,000 people that are released from prison every single week. Every week. And almost nothing is being done to turn the course of their story. They still are operating from the framework of their shame and their pain and their brokenness when they need to be operating from the framework of that they are loved. And so we have an opportunity this morning to just tell some folks that they're loved. And the way that it works, it's really simple. I brought a couple books and for 35 bucks, you get this really cool workbook called Wonder Life that I wrote, which is kind of like a, a journal on steroids. You get our second chance journal. And then I brought a copy of, an advanced copy of my book, which is not even out yet, but um, so there's lots of spelling errors and stuff in here, but it, sorry about that. Um, we're imperfect, okay? So you get my new book, um, 
and a People's Second Chance sticker. And for 35 bucks, when you buy this, you get this, you take this with you, but it's like a buy one, give one. It, it literally funds one care kit. So if you want to give above and beyond, all that money will just go to the inmates. And the care kits, I, I kind of call them like appetizers before the party. And just reminding people that, that they too are loved. Let's stand. And um, if you want to participate, I'll be in the back. I'd love to give you a high five and a hug. And um, again, they're 35 bucks and just help some inmates. But let me pray for you real quick. God, thank you so much for who you are, for letting us be people of the second chance, for your radical grace, for new starts, and uh, letting us know your love. It's in your son's name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.